Hey baby, what's good and what's poppin'? If you hear my voice, you are currently listening to Just Just Finesse. Um, I'm a content creator, music podcaster, and all-around Nigerian creative. And I'm currently chilling with Bants to the Bone podcast. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Bants to the Bone. On each episode, we discuss pop culture, recent happenings, and share stories from our amazing guests. And as always, you're chilling with your two hosts, Idris and myself, Stefan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what's popping? Let me steal this from our from our host. I know I said that <laughs> wrong with my with my right. <laughs> with my Niger accent. <laughs> what's popping? Oh. Hey, 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 hey! Welcome to episode episode four. Four. Episode four with another special guest. Special special, special. guest after special guest, as mm-hmm. we said before. We're sitting with Jess. Jess. Finesse. Yeah, yeah. Episode, Welcome to the pod, Jess. What's popping? What's popping? We did, we did, we did, we did. <laughs> or oh, is that a rhetorical question? No, is it? It's not rhetorical. Because no one ever okay, answers. It's become a trademark. No, yeah, okay, that's big facts. Um, in my own setting, it's rhetorical, but I'm not in my own setting. I'm in a guest setting, so right. y'all can actually respond. And I think we day is a perfect is a perfect response to what's popping. So yeah, we day. Okay. We, we did. Okay. Right. I was just sure, you know, just by the time it becomes a trademark, it's like what's popping. Everyone is about to answer, and Jess is already gone, left the room to go and do other stuff. It's like, not <laughs> you're not serious. You're not serious. Hey, welcome to the pod, Jess. Welcome to the pod. I'm Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I think like the natural start would be, who is Jess? Exactly. Jess, do you want to do a little bit of a, you know, an intro. intro? Yeah. Tell the listeners right. a bit um, more about as, yourself. As natural, see, as natural as this question is, as much as I tell people to, to say who they are, I don't actually like respond, ask, answering this question. Um, because I always say, it depends on the season in which you meet me in life. Hmm. Because this, my description is always changing. This, my objective on my resume is always changing. Hmm. Yeah. Um, in this current season of my life right now, mm-hmm. tell us the version of Jess that I am, that by the time the people in the world hear this uh, pod. It might be a different version. Um, it might be... No, no, no. It'll be the same version. Should be, it's not like you're dropping this pod in like two months. Like two months, I could have changed oh, no, myself. No, but, not two months. Um, yeah. This version that your your listenership is, is hearing is... Um, I'm a music curator. I'm a content creator. Hmm. I'm an official Lagos resident. My my US citizenship is dwindling. A career. Um, Lagos resident. Bruh, I don't know where my U.S. passport is. I don't know if I should be saying that out loud. Um, I'm joking, I'm joking. It's collecting dust somewhere in my room. Um, but yeah, I don't want to use the word I'm a creative because that's, that's such a bland, like, blanket answer. But, mm. like, I'm a music curator. Um, I'm a content creator. And yeah, I do a whole bunch of other random stuff that has to, that mainly focuses around music in the Nigerian music industry. Um. It's funny when you said you, you've lost your passports. Like, guys, it's, it's serious. Those guys sell passports. Have you seen our Uncle London video? No. What is that? <laughs> is this guy selling passports? Went to, he went to London illegally. It was in okay. England legally. And they were like, you know, all those immigration shows embarrassed the whole Nigeria. It's like, how did you get here? Why did you? Why are you here without proper documents? The guy said Uncle London sent him. <laughs> oh, no. Streets. Straight right back, no gist about that. Yeah, one. I've seen that. I've seen that stuff in immigration, <laughs> in, right? In yeah, immigration. He has like, Uncle yeah. London sent him. 
guy was so I remember old. that. It's, it's kind of old. It's like a couple of yeah, years ago. It's a pretty ago. old video. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Because guys yeah, sell the passports. Cool. Apparently, there's a way you can like remove the passport, the person's picture in the passport and put another person's picture. Yeah. It's really mad. They still, they still pa- I remember when um, I was younger. No, I was a, I was, I was a young flower. Hmm. And like every time I would come to Nige, as soon as we got off the plane, my mom or my dad would be like, go and give your passport to your auntie. Let her go hmm. lock that joint up in a wardrobe. And I was like, why? Like, is, it that, is it that deep? No, it's that deep because they have <laughs> passports. They no, no, right. pa- like, look at what Stefan is saying now. Dude, you just steal someone's passport. I don't know how, I'm not, I'm not a criminal, so I don't know how they do it exactly. But that, the book itself is valid. Like, the book very, itself very is valuable. Valid. So, even in my adult age, like, I've carried that, um, I've carried that custom with me. Like, even at my big age, I'll still be uh, telling my friend, like, yo, can you go lock my passport up in your, in your safe? Or can you hmm. go lock my passport up here? Yeah. Just because of this thing about people stealing passports. So, hmm. as much as I'm joking that I don't know where my joint is, I know where it is, though. It's locked inside my, <laughs> inside my cabinets. So, it's not going to get stolen. Inshallah. But, yeah. Um, so, Jess, a little bit of, like, your background. You mentioned that you used to come visit Nigeria quite a lot. Um, right. So would you say you were mainly based in the States, in America? Um, and at what time, how often would you come to Nigeria? And when did you finally move uh, back? Okay, um, so I do have a tendency to ramble. So I'm going to try and be as concise as possible. Ramble away, ramble uh, away, my friend. Okay. Oh, look, at, look at a podcast where they're actually letting me ramble. Ramble away. Time, 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 time. Okay, um, okay, short abridged version. 1,000% Yankee grown, okay? Mm. My seed, my mm. seed of life was planted in American soil, U.S. soil, right? right? Um, born and raised in America. Uh, I mean, I did the whole, like, oh, for my one-year birthday, I think my, my dad was the first, my dad brought me to Nigeria for the first time. So right. I just came with my dad. Don't remember that experience. I'd be seeing pictures, and I'm like, wow, all these people were holding me, and I don't know who they are. They could be, like, you know, witches or robbers. I don't know. JK, they were my family. Let me not, let me not do it like that. Um... Second time I came to Nige, I was nine. Um, that was the first experience where I could actually like remember a lot of things because that was the that was the experience where um, I experienced or like I, I heard about like this, this thing about like kidnapping and robbing and stuff like that. Because hmm. I remember we took an overnight bus. I'm from Emo State. Okay. Um, so we we would come into Lagos. And then we would travel to Emo State like the next day. And I remember there was one time we took like an overnight bus to go from Lagos to Emo. Uh, because I think we had so many luggages. I think like that year we had like 20 luggages. Right. Yeah, we had 20 pieces of luggage. And obviously no one's about to start like trying to pay for airline to carry that. So we took bus. And for whatever reason, uh, they said like our marbles were like robbing buses that night. And like hmm. we had to stop our bus somewhere to like make sure it died down or something before we could continue the journey. I don't rem- yeah. remember vividly, but I shall mm. remember them saying like robbers are, st- are you know, armed robbers are robbing in front On the expressway. and um, you know, whatever. So that was my first experience of like, what the heck, what kind of country do y'all bring me to where you're telling me robbers are robbing buses mm. or whatever. Um, next period was like, maybe I was in high school, came for mm. one of my cousin's weddings, um, came for two weeks. Okay went back to America and felt ill. Like the type of ill where you have to be inside hospital for how many weeks? Oh, wow. On God, I don't know what it was. I don't want to <laughs> say it was malaria because that joint feel, felt worse than malaria. Um, but then there was that. Then I went And these, were your, these were your first two experiences in Nigeria? Oh, These bad. were my like first experiences. Memor- yeah, first like, memorable having, experiences. You know? 
it was just like, bro, like I'm I'm beginning to have like traumatic, uh, a traumatic emotional relationship with this country <laughs> y'all saying I'm from. Like I don't understand. Hmm. So then next time it was I was a sophomore in uni. Okay. This was a very pivotal time. See, look at what I'm doing. I forgot. I actually did body school two years in Niger. I was I gonna ask because I was like, you skipped that I part. I missed that yeah. one. Sorry, okay. sorry. Because you said visiting. Sorry. Let's go. Okay, one year, year nine. Ahead. After I did the one when I was nine years, when I was twelve, my parents sent me to boarding school um, in um, Nigeria for two years. So okay. from nine to so from I did just two and three. Okay. Came back to Yankee was what they call FOB. Um, all the Yankee friends, all the Yankee accent I had when I was in like, you know, sixth grade, I lost everything. It was so it was uh-uh. interesting because the people. So I was in. I did school from you know zero to sixth grade, which is like the first year of middle school. I don't know how Canada works or like, I don't know. That's like primary six, I guess, in nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then I do. So I had friends. You know, I had a life. You know, I had all this stuff. Then it gets stolen from me when I have to go to school in Nigeria, and then I come back. This is ignorant to say, but I'm saying it for, you know, the, the base of this pod. I come back Bush, right? Uh, I don't after say just bush, two I don't say years. Anymore. Yes. Damn. You, yes. Went to, you went to school in um, Imo State, right? The I went to school in Abia State. Was it, was it, Abia. it wasn't, yeah, I didn't go to no posh school. I went to school where when, for punishment, they'll tell you kneel inside gutter. Uh, they'll tell you, you gonna cut the landlord's grass with cut last. Like, yeah. it wasn't like, oh, you're coming from Yankees. Let's put you in a school that will cushion you into Nigeria hmm. of life. It was like, yeah, you go from like, comfortable to, to like suffering. It was hmm. like that stark contrast. So I did that for two years. And that was the that was the experience that really shaped and I really attribute to why I'm in Nigeria now. But anyway, so hmm. I do the two years. I come back to America. I, all my, like the friends that I left the two years prior in Yankee, they're looking at me and they're the one, the same was making fun of me because of my accent and you know, I'm not I'm not hip with the trends and like fashion and stuff like that. Mm. I'm now a you know a babe that will carry her heavy backpack while her textbook and be the first one in class. So that dynamic of like how your friends perceive you once you've been like immersed in another culture and you come back, that really hit me. And it's interesting because I'm just processing it now. I mm. didn't think about it that deeply like back then, but as I'm talking to you on the pod, I'm thinking about how like those same people I was friends with, I like, came back. And it's not like I'm not gonna say like they were mean to me, but there was you know instances of like. I don't want to go as far as saying bullying, but, but they definitely it was different. different. Mm. Definitely different. Um, so I come back, do my high school, do my uni. Then I go to Nigeria in my second year of uni. That's when I come back and I fall sick. Then I come back, finish uni, and I tell my people that I want to go to Nigeria for NYC. Now, I don't want to talk about the story that made that happen in this segment because it will be too long. But immediately after my immediately after university, as in I carried my diploma, like that paper that once again I, is the, collecting dust inside my room, with all my other with along with my passport, I carried that paper in May. In October, May 2015, I graduated. October 2015, I was in Nige hmm. doing um, NYC. My dude. Yes. Wow. So something that's the, that's the version. Something I wanted to ask is. Um, what was the reason why your parents sent you to school? Because I know like it's very common for people to get sent to school in Nigeria because uh, this girl or this boy is running wild. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you want to be like an Americana. Hmm. Right. Go to Nigeria and go and learn culture. What was the reason? Was it like, were you a stubborn child? Were you getting wild? Or is it just cultural mm-hmm. like immersion? <laughs> see, how my, see how my parents play a backfire. 
Okay, I won't say it backfired, Shia, but it's the irony. Because I did not go... To, I did not... I was not sent to Nigeria because I was bad. Okay. Did I have, like, the typical, you know, like, preteen uh, rebellion? Hmm. Yes. Yeah. But it was not the one that they could not manage at the time. Hmm. Like, I was sent to Nigeria because my parents wanted me... And for listeners that cannot see me, I'm using quotation air quotes, hmm. wanted me to learn my culture. Right. That I was too American. And I'm looking at them like, but y'all born me here. Like, I don't understand. You're, 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 you're blaming me for something that I had no control of. Like, I was born here. So obviously, I'm going to assimilate and behave in the culture that I was born into. Right. But yeah, they were like, you know, you're too, you're too American. We need you to know, know your culture. Which to, which to their credit was, I guess you can say it was true. Um, my parents were people that I definitely was, you know, eating Nigerian cuisine in my in, a, in my Yankee household. Uh, we were definitely watching Nollywood. Um, I definitely the first my first uh, exposure to African music was actually like Igbo High Life. It wasn't oh, even nice. like the Afro pop and Afro beats of hmm. you know the time. It was Osito Sadebe, Rex Lawson. Like that's the stuff I knew first. Yeah, the OGs. Um, yeah, like oh, like going for them African parties when we was hmm. like ten, like little kids. And yeah. be hearing that music and dancing on the dance floor and stuff. That was my first exposure to African music. But, um, so I had those, I had that exposure to Nigerian culture. But that stuff is superficial because, like, anybody can eat your love. Um, anybody can eat fufu. Uh, CC, the fufu challenge that happened last, uh, like, last year, earlier this year. So those are very surface level um, exposure to culture. Hmm. But, like, I was a person I'd be, like, in school, be like, hey, my name is Jessica Chibwez. I used to say my name was Chibwe. No, this is why I'm saying Chibweze. Like, there's bass, and, like, I'm doing the intonation and stuff. Right. That's not what I was doing when I was younger. Um, I would say my name. People ask me, is that Spanish? I'm like, no, it's not. It's not Spanish. <laughs> but I would say it, like, in a way that maybe they thought that. Mm. And then I would always be like, oh, you know. They'll be like, um, so tell us about yourself. I'd be like, oh, my name is Jessica Chibwez. Um... I'm from Virginia, but my parents are from Nigeria. Like, mm. I would never say I was from Nigeria. Because gotcha. I didn't understand. I was like, I'm not born. I wasn't born there. Why would I? I'm not from there. So I think those those instances um, really probably were the catalyst for my people to be like, yeah, we need you to go. We need you to, to, to go, go back. Mm. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? What do you even think about that in hindsight? Like sending kids back to Nigeria to learn the culture because they are too Americanized. Like, what's your what's your opinion on it? If there was a way, I support it if, like, your whole family is moving back to do it. Mm. I don't know if I support, like, just sending your children by themselves. Um, to go and stay with, like, an uncle or auntie. Yeah. So, I, that's what I did. Like, the first year, um, it was me and my immediate junior brother that okay. went. And we lived with one of my dad's brothers, right? Okay. And it was a really awesome experience because those were, like, I was close to them. I loved them. They're like family to me, right? Yeah. But, um, and then the second year, my father moved back to Nigeria. So instead of, like, living with my uncle, like, during midterm break or, like, long holiday and stuff, I would go to my dad's house. Um, okay. So I only had, like, one year where I was, like, living with... Uh, like not my biological parents, right? right? And it was a good experience. I'm not even saying it's not a good experience, but there is a there is a there is a deep value of like it being your parents that is like, you know, there for you because I don't know what to say without they're your, they're your parents. They're, you're like more they're comfortable with them, right? It's like your your aunt and uncle or your cousin they can be the best people ever. Like right. my uncle 
the us like they took us as their own children like mm. that's not what i'm saying but there are instances of where you'll see people move back to do the whole stint in boarding school and your parents are leaving you with you know an aunt or an uncle that maybe you, did, you, do, you don't even know yeah, and you know you hear of negative things happening to them like there's many instances where you know people go back go move to nigeria so they're born abroad hmm. you send them to nigeria for the you know boarding school stint secondary school maybe primary school and then they come back uh they come back to abroad and they worse they worse off than when they than before they left and it's because of the traumas they probably experienced in nigeria um you know things that we were not you know accustomed to in living in the west you come here and hmm. like you know i don't know they're flogging you uh their, their types of punishment may be harsher than what you was experiencing in America. And, like, you yeah. don't know how to process that in your pre-teens, early teen years. You come back to America, you angry, you bitter, you this, you, you, you're even more defiant than when you left. So if my only thing is that if you were to send your children back, I ideally would think, like, move back with your kid. Like, if you can take a year off of living abroad, like living in the West or two years and come back, do the, do the thing with your child so you can have an eye on your child, be there for your child, uh, continue to uh, raise your child and then y'all all move back I think that would be cool yeah. this, even this this you just told me reminds me of um, there's actually a BBC I think documentary about this about kids who get sent back or tricked back to going into mm -hmm. like going to back to their home countries um, right. in Kenya Jamaica um, and it, it did turn out that a lot of them some of them got worse mixing up with gangs with the wrong crew without yep. that guidance yep. that their parents yep. Their parents with the, of their parents being there and with some of them because they're already kind of they're already kind of leaning towards like that same scene or culture back mm -hmm, in london mm -hmm. they come here and they just influence they they naturally exactly. align towards that that's that's um, kind of crew and i even i even have a like a family friend who was mm -hmm. i remember she was she was um she had a lot of issues growing up and she got shipped back um, to Nigeria to go to school for senior secondary school. It was interesting because they brought her from um, from the UK, and mm -hmm. because she's doing too much Oibo things, and they brought her to a school where you know, everybody in the school self was doing too much Oibo things. Because it wasn't like this. Like in your case, they sent you. You said they took you to a struggle to go mm -hmm. and immerse yourself in the culture in Imo states. Right. But this right. one, there was nothing. I guess she was well protected within the fences of those schools. So right. I don't want to mention right. the school, but it's one of like the high-end schools in in Lagos. So I don't think that was much of a much of a change, to be honest. I feel like she'll be right. better off being in the UK hmm. than than going back there. This thing you're saying, two things. Now that you said this, I'm. Y'all are making me be too introspective. Like I didn't come here to be thinking deeply about my past. Come on, come feel on, guys. Free, feel come free. on. But um. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking like if my parents so maybe my parents saving grace is the fact that I wasn't sent back as a result of I was bad yeah. so I even maintained like yes there was that rebellion yes that was you know um, I'm, I was the first child I was the only girl so that nuance and I was in a you know a, a, a traditional like a pretty conservative Igbo household even though it was mixed with like um, American it's like Igbo conservatism and then American conservatism together. So just 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 try to imagine that in your mind. So right. even when I went to school at night, I still maintained that sense of, oh my, I need to, I can't go and disgrace my family. Or I can't disgrace yeah. my family. So like, even if I was, I, I don't, I can't think, and if I, I would take time for me to think, if I was ever 
exposed to any like funny funny behavior in my two years in that boarding school i don't remember if i don't think i was to mm-hmm. be honest yeah. um but even if the opportunity presented itself for even though stefan i don't i don't agree with you saying Sha, but let's say there were Oibo things happening in my school i yeah. think i would still have the fear of like i cannot disgrace my people mm-hmm. and that will still hold me from not maybe participating because right. when i think about it there were like instances where i was oblivious then but I'm even thinking about it, how maybe maybe some senior boys were, like, like trying to get close to me for whatever reason. Um, I was aloof as hell. I was, like, I, I was relating with them like they're my bros or something. Mm. I'm thinking about it now, like, what if they were trying to hit on me at the time? Right. And I was just yeah. too mumu to not gauge it. Or maybe I wasn't old enough or I haven't been experienced enough or whatever. And yeah. there was never really any issue that I, behavioral issue or, you know, that I, that I experienced in Nigeria. What I was experienced was, like, people trying to play me because I was from Yankee. Like, the first year I received Hellfire because, like, bro, people were stealing my stuff. People were taking advantage of me. Anybody who asked me for provision, I'll just dash them. Mm. I'll be starving. I'll just be giving myself out. People stealing my water, stealing kerosene lamp when we're trying to study for exam because of competition mm, yeah. and things like that. Like, those things came because I, was, I wasn't I was sharp. But um, after the first year of boarding school, second year I was sharp as hell. Like, I, I forced myself. To, I downloaded accents. I, you, t- you, you trying to play me, yeah, I play you right tough. back. Yeah, so it's interesting because if I was a bad child if I was sent to Nigeria because of behavioral issues, maybe they would have been amplified. And then mm. I would have came back worse than I was. But um, I came back a nerd. I came back like, um, oh, I need to be first in my class, first in my class. And then it was just like, you come back to America where the school system is so lax. All that 14 subject they were forcing us to learn in, in Nigeria. You come back, you're doing a subject. You're passing everything. You're even bored in class. I started, like, I started doing bad in class because it was actually too slow for me. Hmm. And I was like, bro, I don't, like, what is this? So you go to Nigeria, you, you have this rigid curriculum, strictness. You see this thing where, like, the principal can call you out and flog you in front of the whole school. You come hmm. back to, to America where, you know, it's, it's way... It's, it's more chill. It's chill. Exactly. Hmm. So um, I, it's interesting that you said that, uh, Stefan. Yeah. Um, would, ask, was ask there a quick question? Go on, go on, go on. Quick question. So with that now, um, mm-hmm. like this last part you said about going to school in um, America, being relaxed, chill, going to school in Nigeria, you're kind of toughened up. Um, they call you out and they flog you. The principal calls you mm-hmm. out and flogs you. Mm-hmm. Um, do, so in some other parts of the world, like America, they will call some mm-hmm. of the things that you just mentioned, child abuse. Right. But for a lot of us that went to school in Nigeria, that's like part of, it's just part of, the ropes that's mm-hmm. the natural that's, that's the natural part your, that's part of your it, trauma mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's what makes us who we are you know so mm-hmm. um I, th- I think kind of my my question there is like is it is that is it is it a bad thing do you think that that's not because now you're saying like it actually kind of made you tougher made you more more resilient Mm-hmm. Do you think would can you could, could you have done without that resilience if it would stop you if it would save you from being abused in the white in in <clears throat> globalist terms? See, like I said, the first year they were showing me my peers were showing me Pepe because of um, me being a mumu. Yeah, that that alone would have taught me enough resilience. Like, okay, let me give a little bit of context. The boarding school I went to was a Catholic missionary boarding school that was run by reverend brothers and sisters okay mm-hmm. we used to go to church every morning for prayer 
I think we used to go to church midweek. We used to go to church on Sunday, then go to benediction on Sunday. Okay. Every day we have siesta, which is like midtime nap or whatever. We have to pray rosary before we sleep. Yeah. As we're walking to prep, afternoon prep, night prep, you're praying rosary. No, afternoon prep, you don't have to pray rosary. As you're walking to night prep, you're praying rosary. As you're walking back from prep at 10 p.m., you're praying rosary. Okay? Oh my God, God must have place. your back down. Bro, ah. bro, bro. No, but you know what? This is, don't see, don't make me have to get deep ah. on this podcast. But upon all that praying, oh, I didn't really understand. Like, upon all that praying, it's not, I was like, what? I'm doing this based on like, uh, it was militant. Like, it was hmm. rigid. It wasn't like, oh, I'm having this deep relationship with God and I'm right. praying. No, I was like, let me pray before they come and slap me. If they don't see you pray, Rosary, they'll, they'll flog you. So hmm. was it like my relationship even with with religion was like weird even in that in that in that um, it was sort of forced, very forced. Hmm. Um, so I'm saying that to say like those instances of like militant behavior, rigid discipline, that would have taught me enough resilience, I believe. Right hmm. now, these reverend brothers, right, and these uh, so we had reverend brothers and sisters that we would have like uh secular te- like te- like teach perf- uh teachers Ma- uh mm-hmm. we call you see we used to call our teacher master 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 or master this at least it was then, it uncle. Oh, i feel like yeah I'll, like I'll that's how that i'm saying professor I, d- I don't know if i'll take that over master, no, no, master. Good, <laughs> no. you, have to, you have to stand up and be like this no, no, hit no, the no, door. Master. You will take master. Master is, is someone. Uh, Mister, Mister, no, Master, no, Mrs. Mistress, no. Uncle is better. No. I, I hate We had some small technical issues, but we're back. Yeah, yeah. See all you, all you indie, all you indie podcasters. I can't relate. When you get production and you, you get to go to a studio and they all handle this stuff, you know, we don't got to worry about, you know, Damn. if the joint cuts off me, wait, I'm thinking yes, we do. I lied, I lied, I lied. Yes, we definitely do. Um, how's, you know, so I was talking recording? about. Okay, no, 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 keep going, man. No, no, you just ask, ask. I was going to ask, how's recording in the, how's recording in like a studio? How's that been for you? Have you always recorded your podcast in the studio? Um, um does. Mm, does no, like production, you know, editing, does anything fall in your hands? How does that work? Right. Right. Okay. So I've done like, I've been on three podcasts now. Mm. Um, my first exposure to podcasting was um, during my NYC. No, like ending of my NYC year. Mm. Uh, I did a podcast called The Ladies Room with okay. a platform called Giddy Lounge Radio, right? Okay. That one, we used to do it like remotely. Cause I lived in Nige, and then the remaining three co-hosts, shout out to Chinny, Fran, and Chai, um, they lived in Yankee, so we used to do it like via Skype, I think. And then our we had a podcast producer who would handle the sound and everything. Okay. We just record with our mics, Skype, all that stuff. Then when I moved, you know, moving on up, then I went to Loose Talk, and that one was done in studio, right? But it was done in studio, um, with Pulse, and like Pulse handled the like. This, like we use yes. pulse equipment, all that stuff, like that nature. Then when we briefly went over to um, do No Name Giants for like the couple episodes we did, right? Um, it was you know Visual Audio Times Network that handled the uh, pr- the production equipment, all that stuff. And then we didn't really record in the studio. We recorded like in a workspace, like all these co-working spaces that people mm, can go yeah. to, and do, like that's where we recorded. And then moving on to like my podcast with Just Finesse Presents, I record in like a actual podcast studio. Like the studio was built for podcasting. So yeah. everything soundproof, all new equipment, 
all Life the equipment good. that the sound engineer could want. Like, bro, I just come in there, <laughs> sit there, record, do my fans, eat my gar- do my gary, and go to my house. Oh, um, we don't even have gary. So for it's you. definitely different. You said we should have, have stolen the gary idea from your pods since we have you on the, on the I episode. Have to, <laughs> I have to preserve my gary intake for my podcast. Your I can't podcast. even drink gary in my house now, just because <laughs> of that thing. Um, but it's very different. It's very different um, having to you know work with like a production crew. Versus you having to like do it yourself. Hmm. I've never had to be somebody who had to deal with sound or any post production. I don't want to do with it. It's not my forte. I don't want to do it. Right. Uh, but it's it's very different. And then even when I guest on podcasts, like how we're doing right now, mm. y'all are the ones that handle pro- uh, post production. I don't touch anything. Hopefully, yeah. I don't miss yarn. I don't have to tell you cut anything else. Go and do what you want. Flourish, and yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So should I go back to master? Back to master. Yeah. Let's let's hear. Back to master. Okay. <laughs> oh my, it could be Idris is right. It could be because I was knocking on the thing that the master. You see how rubbish master That's is. What anyway. But <laughs> so master I don't know how to do this thing now. But how we would greet our prof- our teachers when they will come in? Like you have to like the prefect will knock on the on the door or on their desk and the sound. I remember the sound vividly. Dune 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 dune. Everybody stands up. We have to say good morning master god bless you this man could be wicked oh we still have to bless him this man could be beating us we still have to bless him so no i, I don't think i'm happy having to call my having to call my 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 professor master you know no i'd, I, rather, I'd rather call him uncle of course no of course a million times what's master master law what should be called uh, uh. <laughs> i i hate See? that uncle See? and auntie stuff man <laughs> So okay. much. I'll call Stephen, him Master two thousand times. At all. What's actually interesting is that um, what was I gonna say? Even this this uncle calling. I okay. I know Stefan dislikes it. It's funny because we don't talk about how things we learn in childhood really follow us in like or in like as we grow. As we because grow. till now, I still use uncle on some people, but I use it as a cock blocking mechanism. Like, you know how in, in, in you, even somebody that is one year your senior, senior you'll be calling them, you have to give them one title because yeah. of like, we're so obsessed with respect. So someone could be like three years older than you, you're calling them auntie, you're calling them uncle. So even now, I'll be like, when I, when I want to make sure like I really demystify any type of, bim, any type of avenue for a guy to come and talk, I'll be like, uncle. Say bros. Hey bro, like, uh, uh, what's good? Like be calling somebody yes sir, no sir. Yeah. And it'd be taking them back like, why are you doing that? Because I think I'm doing it because I think, like, maybe because I think I'm, they're way like, older than me. Like, out of no, respect. No, I'm doing that because, you know, when I was young, they said we should respect our elders. So anybody I want to just ask like this, uncle. Anybody just want to go like this, sir. So, yeah. That's how, that's how I heard, like, when, um, when some Nigerian married men want to talk to some young girls say no don't call me you can just call me jack you can just call me don't call me uncle you can just call me <laughs> just call well, me uncle, they call me respect that's disrespectful you know that's disrespectful now i can't call you uncles i mean i can't call you by your first name uncle it's called blocking mechanism so i'm i'm happy that that was installed in me at a young age at a but young age. yeah so why did you um go back to yankee how did you go back to america after, after those okay. two years yeah okay um so essentially i went back to yankee you see our parents god god bless them our parents like to 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 have their cake and eat it too hmm. so they wanted me to go and receive you know um nigerian assimilation the hard rugged suffering organic way 
But then they didn't want me to stay in Nigeria long enough that I would not have a chance to get into American University. So sharply, after JS3, you're coming back to do high school. You're not going to inform that. I mean, I'm not trying to be ignorant, but like, it's, it, it, it will be a different situation. It's not ignorance, it's the truth. International students have a different application process than you know those of us who already live in the country we're applying to. So if I would have did my whole six years, um, I'm not I'm not sure. Let me not miss yarn because I mean I was a U.S. citizen, so maybe I would have been so been able to apply as a U.S. citizen. But like that whole like doing six years of secondary school, no high school experience in America, then I want to come and apply for American University. My parents were like, nope, you're coming back. Hmm. The irony is. After JS3, and I became a local babe, and I could change it for you know my peers, I actually wanted to stay and finish out to my SS3. So I was angry at my parents. It's like, y'all brought me here. Y'all dumped me here. So you started enjoying my job. Bro, I was like, I was, I was on track. I was on track to being a deputy senior prefect of my school. Like I was on, I was like, I'm gonna wicked all them seniors that wickeded me. I'm gonna wicked they, they juniors when they come into the school. I'm gonna have school daughters. Like I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna. Do, I was preparing for my senior, my senior um secondary experience, and they're like, no, you need to come back home. You know, you need you need to do U.S. Uh, high school so you can do U.S. Uh, university. So I left when I actually wanted to stay. Hmm. Yeah. And and um, so you did university. You did um, senior second high school in mm-hmm. America, and then university yeah. before coming back. And yes. but in between university, you, you came back as well. I came back. I came back once. Yes. Once between university. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Um, yeah. I feel like Nigeria switch up like. You have a good time, you know, catch vibes. I don't have to come to question. You saying Nigeria is sweet is based like, on because nice. you don't live here and no. you see it from outside. No, or what? listen to what I'm saying. Nigeria is a nice place okay. to like go have a good time, have fun, you know. Ooh, but it's not yeah, a good place to live in. Do you get? Okay. If you're going to Nige, you go maybe spend like a couple of maybe a couple of months and then be bouncing. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. I have a very like love hate relationship with what you just said. Hmm. Um, it will probably take me too long to like break it down, so I won't. Hmm. Uh, but people like you, I look at you. People like you very funny. Ah, I look at people like you very funny. Why not? I have friends that think like this now. I don't. I mean, it's not. It's not. It you don't think. You don't think it's right. Break, break it down. Break I it think down. it's true. I okay. think there's there's truth in it. I just don't. You don't agree with it. Okay. I've gone you think, through... Do you think you're living in denial? I'm not... I don't think I'm living in denial. No, I don't... I I think, do you think Idris is living in denial? Oh, Idris... <laughs> I said, I for say I'm not. I'm not living in denial. No, no, you're um, not. Okay, so... How do I put this? Uh, what do I start from? Okay, let me just do it like this. Since I moved back this time, I moved back, right? Because, in essence, I've moved back, like, if I want to be technical, three different times. This last time that I've moved back, that, like, I've full-fledged, I'm here, ten toes, hands are in the soil, roots are planted. Um, I remember, like, I told myself that when I move back, I don't want, any, like, I don't want anybody to perceive me as those. Let's actually rewind. So there's this perception, right, that they don't take diaspora Nigerians in Nigeria seriously because it's like, ah, you people, any small thing you can run, any small thing you can go back. And it's one thing you can just take your blue passport and leave. And that thing used to make me very angry. 
because it used to make people like diminish uh, your experience, your sense of like strength, diminish your experience. This is dismissive. It's like all these things. So maybe I'm stupid, though, but I made this goal on myself. I said if I move back here, I don't want it to be that any small trauma or any small problem that happens to me, I will not run back. Because I'm trying to prove, even though I've learned in my big age now, I don't, I shouldn't have tried to prove anything to anybody. Like screw everybody. It's my, like, let me focus on myself. But at the time, I was like, I want to prove that I'm not one of those American, like Nigerian Americans who, I'll just be waving my blue passport in people's face. Like, oh, y'all have insecurity. I'm running back. Oh, there's this. I'm running back. Oh, it's election. I'm running back. So any wild, traumatic experience that has caused me pain, suffering. This I would be like I'm not going back to America. I must figure this thing out um, by okay. myself in this country. Hmm. So when I see people be like, "Oh, Nigeria is just for chilling," you're right because the best way to exp- to experience this country and like it is when you take it in small doses. I don't like Nigeria like that no more hmm. because I'm not taking it in small doses. I live here every day. But if I was the whole like come for a couple months, go back, come for a couple months, go back, come, I would enjoy it hmm. now. You only come when it's popping. You leave as soon as the popping is. Uh, uh, subsides. Once it pops again, you come back. You come in the peak periods and leave. That's why you you, you see people in in uh, Yankee in Canada and US and all these kind. Oh, Nigeria is so popping. You people are just haters. Look at all you all, all you people in Nigeria are just negative. How can you just be so negative all the time? Why are you not patriotic? It's like because you don't live here. You just, just come here in December, Easter, and go take your go cover someone's wedding, do your yeah. one bit, uh, go, go back home, and then you you chill. So yeah, that's why Idris is coming. I didn't like lives in lived in Nigeria pretty recently, until pretty recently. Man, I still lived in Nigeria. But um, how is being a music curator and content curator in Lagos? In in Lagos, (laughs) how's life? I'm looking for money. That's my answer. I'm looking. I'm looking for money. (laughs) It's very interesting. Uh, this is where uh nepotism glares at you this is where connection or lack of connection glares at you this is where lack of money and resource glares at you because we're all not created equal all of us we did creative we are all we all call ourselves creatives but we're all we're all not created equal all right um so speaking of my experience as somebody who is self-funded who the first time someone has invested in me this deeply has been with this my podcast that i just started and everything else was like out of pocket or based on collaboration or based on like hustle to make something out of nothing it is very difficult it's very mentally draining um it is tiring i i i currently am experiencing burnout but then when you're like i'm all this thing has to get done you look for that slither of hope to keep pushing type of thing but people that have the funding uh people that don't have to pay rent uh people whose parents are so 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 you know whatever not saying they don't have to you know hustle like how i'm hustling they equally have to hustle but Hmm. they hustle with a little bit of cushion and so it's, it's, yeah. it's, how, it's how I would say. I'm on my rent is due next week. And that Gary that I like drinking every day, I might have to start drinking it, you know, on in a my permanent house. Basis. <laughs> on a permanent basis. At least for maybe one to two months. To that, to my savings bulks up again. Um, but it's, it's interesting. It's very tough. I'm not going to say it's easy. Um, yeah. But it's tough for me because I'm very, I do everything independent. Like, mm. I, don't, I don't have a source of funding. My parents don't um, uh, support me. I'm not saying, like, in a bad way, but it's just, like, I'm not, I don't, like, I'm not living in my family's house. Uh, it's, it's I don't, I'm not getting allowance. Hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's hard. But it's rewarding. Okay. It's rewarding in the sense that when you create the content and it's high quality and people look at it like, oh, I love this, then it's kind of like, for me, it's almost like 
one of the things that keeps me in knowledge is like the ability to say, yo, I've created this high quality content from a country where people think it's like, oh, it's developing. Oh, you have to be corrupt in order to do this. Oh, you have to collaborate. Oh, yeah. I'm like, I'm doing all this thing. And as of right now, I'm still maintaining integrity. I don't know how maybe one year from now, sorry, you know, maybe having shady ways. But as I am right now, I'm still, you know, following the straight and narrow. Um, And it's cool. Like when people respect and like appreciate the content that you create um, in this setting. So it's, it's like trying to balance the two. Like this thing is hard. I'm tired. I'm always exhausted. I never have like balling money because I'm always putting everything back into what I'm doing. Right. But then when you create that content and you see like people appreciating it and stuff, it like kind of makes it a little bit more worth it. Yeah, I think like your the stuff you say is kind of is very is relatable because where on the other end you move from. Um, from America to Nigeria, we moved from Nigeria mm-hmm. to Canada, and like when right. you're here, like it's different versus like people who are born here and grow up here. They get to stay with their Facts. parents, save more money. Um, as soon as you're on your own, even here, by the time your parents are paying your tuition, sometimes you have to work to support yourself. So like you're pretty much like survival is pretty much up to you from by force and, versus mm. if you were staying with your family back home. So it's definitely like another layer, big layer of like challenge. You just made so, my heart so happy. You just made my heart like flutter. You know why? Because like y'all, 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 y'all got me on this part just thinking. I never thought about this. This same. So people just assume there, there was a very there was a huge like theme of people just assuming like I must have had money because I willingly moved to Nigeria. Because people think like if you're coming to, if you're moving to Nigeria from abroad, you must have a job waiting for you or you have rich parents you and you're chilling. about to be set, right? Yeah. I've said this before. I moved to Nigeria with three hundred dollars in my pocket. And like maybe like two hundred k in my three thousand on two three hundred two three hundred. <laughs> I had like three hundred dollar cash in my pocket, and um I, and I had two hundred k in my savings account from like, when I finished my NYC year, right? Yeah. I was that radical. I was like, man, I don't care if I have not. I don't have the savings. I don't care if my like my and parents like, want I'm to going be like, to well, manage. I'm go- bro. I didn't. I didn't know. Like I didn't have a flat. Like when I moved here, I I um, stayed at my friend's house for like six months paid like six months rent there had to leave there again stayed in finally got you know a place got evicted from that place we have then, to talk about this yeah uh, this is one I mean, of my let me sh- let me sh- let me sh- <laughs> but the reason why i'm bringing this up is because i moved here and i wasn't i wasn't like i didn't have a security blanket like yeah. my parents um you know i love my parents uh, my father actually lives in emo states till this day from that time i was in secondary school till now he still lives in emo state then my mom lives in the u.s right my mother is not, I don't come from money. When I say this, it's not to insult my parents. My mother is somebody who she moved from Niger, moved to um, America, went to, you know, nursing school, became a nurse. This woman is good as hell with money. Like, she may not have, it's not like she has a million dollars, but the money she making, she has good money management, right? So she was able to, you know, put me through university um, and, and you know, uh, contribute to me financially. Like, there's nothing that, like, I didn't ask for that. I didn't need. But then again, I wasn't the one asking, can I get a Porsche? Can I get this? I was, you know, asking for modest stuff that in my middle class uh, background, living in a suburban Virginia, that's what I was asking for. I'm, I'm not someone who has like, I was super materialistic type of thing. But um, I didn't have money. Like I'm not, I, I don't come from money. No, none of my family is like obscenely wealthy where my father, like somebody owns something or I have like a security blanket. So when I moved back, my mother low-key didn't want me to move back. Um, but I told her, I was like, you know, I'm an adult now. Like, I don't necessarily need your blessing. I'm telling you what I'm going to do out of respect, but I'm still moving. 
So she, um, she probably think you're you're crazy if she moved to America for economic reasons from Nigeria. We need to hear her daughter mm-hmm. is going back. Everybody, yeah. everybody thought I was crazy. All my people thought I was crazy. But I'm, the I'm, what I'm, I'm interested in even knowing like what was motivating you so much to move back. So with the um, with the me moving to Nige, right? I didn't move to Nige with money. I've never had like I've made money here, but you can't compare making naira to making you know USD or making Canadian dollar, or whatever. So even with Stefan saying like y'all move from Nige to the West. And, and in essence, kind of like not have money. When I say not have money, maybe just not have a lot of disposable income. Like you have money for school, you have money for rent, food, but not like money to maybe uh, uh, fuel your creative dreams. It's the same way like I didn't have money when I moved to Nigeria to fuel my creative uh, uh, creative dreams. Like I, I was literally working from zero dollar. The same way maybe, you know, to do this podcast, you had to maybe, I don't know, take money from like your salary or, or save money, your parents. I don't know how y'all started it, but like it's the same exact thing. So, we're moving, the way I moved to Nigeria, y'all moved abroad, we're still in the same exact boat. But people will think because you're, I'm moving from like a developed First country world. to a developing country, it's easier. No, yeah. it's, it's not. It's, it's almost the same exact thing. Y'all just have more structure. Or you guys are afforded to live in a, in, a, in a society that has more structure, as opposed to me, who leaves from structure to come to chaos, and is trying to, you know, create, create value and create content. So, yeah. Stefan, the fact that you said that just busted my head, because I never even thought about it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to answer, to answer Idris's question, you said what motivated me to move back? Mm-hmm. To okay, a couple things. Let me be as let me try to be as brief as possible. One, you know when I told you that I'm, I went to boarding school in Nige. Um, before I moved to boarding, before I went to boarding school in Nige, um, I thought you know Nigeria was negative. I thought the whole of Nigeria was bush. Uh, I was like, why would I ever want to move to a country like that? I'll watch Nollywood, I'll see witchcraft. I'm like, why would I ever want to go there? Like, it doesn't make any sense. So when they moved me to Nige for that two years and I actually began enjoying it, I was like, wow, I finally have a sense of identity. Because in um in America, right, even though I wasn't claiming I was Nigerian, I was not Nigerian because of my parents, not that I was Nigerian, I didn't feel like I was black either. So like, I didn't really feel like I had an identity. So when I moved to Nige and like, moved to, you know, went to school in Abia State, was staying in my, my state of origin, I finally, was able to reconcile that I had an identity. Like, I was something. I was, you know, Jessica Chibweze from Emo State. My people, my family, you know, my dad lives in Okigwe. Like, I, I had these identifiers that made me feel like I was somebody. So, when I had that, I was not proud to, you know, claim that I was Nigerian. Um, so, when that happened, that was like the first seed. Then the second seed is, I told you I went to Nigeria during my second year of uni. That was a very important that was a very important uh, visit because that was like in 2012 or 2013. I was here during the oil, like one of these oil subsidy crises that they had. And um, the that was like, I think everywhere shut down. Either people boycott. I don't know what happened, but nobody was going outside. Like they shut down everything for whatever reason. And my, I was in Okigwe and I was bored as hell in my, dad's, in my dad's house. And my dad was like, you should probably go talk to the neighbors. So he made me go talk to my neighbors. And... Um, after speaking with them, that was a very profound, like, conversation, because that made me realize, like, they were telling me how, like, their children haven't gone to school in months, because their children were, li- were going to, like, the parents were, like, professors or something. Like, when I, the mother was, like, a school teacher, and, like, the father was a professor, and then they're both out of work because of, like, strike and stuff like that. So they were, like, telling me how real Nigeria was, like, how, like, this place is really not, like, good, right? 
And for me, it kind of made me have this moment of like, look at me calling myself Nigerian and I'm living in America. Like, it's easy to call yourself a Nigerian when you're not living in Nigeria because, oh, I'm Nigerian. I can wear the Nigerian flag. I'm eating jollof rice. When I'm done eating jollof rice, I'll go and eat hamburger. I'm fine. Like, and when I go and eat jollof rice, there's still lights to keep my jollof. Like, it was just making me feel like these are people, like me and these people were both Nigerian, but our Nigerian experiences are so different. And I felt guilty. I was like, why, why did, you know, the universe, or why did God allow me to be, be uh, an American-born Nigerian where I can just leave whenever I want? Look at how I'm here on holiday. I'm in my father's house. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And then people that live right next door to my dad who have a very completely different experience. So I was like, man, I would like to come back. So after I had that experience, um, I... I stayed in Nigeria for six weeks that time. I spent half of it in, in my dad's house, and then I spent the other half in Lagos. Now, after I experienced that in the East, and I came to Lagos, that was the first time I that was the time that was the first time I ever went to the island. That was the first time I ever went to like saw like people like me that were like, oh, we we are hip to fashion. We know the latest music, and I was shocked because remember I told you I thought the whole of Nigeria was bush. So when I come to Lagos and I see that you know there's life here. I'm like, oh snap! I want to experience this life. I want to experience this type of um, this this part of Nigeria without like having to be under my parents' roof. Yeah. Those were the two defining things that made me say I need to find a way to come back tonight. When and then um, I use NYC as my channel to come back. So, is this mm-hmm. still the perception of what's the perception of people, if you know now, of Nigeria and Africa, of people who are like abroad, like because. I would I would imagine that especially with like bigger movements now about Africa, mm-hmm. bigger movements coming out of Africa, get mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter movements, and love a lot more Western blacks wanting to be right. more aware of like Africa and like the context. But we still have a yeah. movie like um, what's the name of that movie again? Uh, coming to America, you know where they're shooting Atilugu and shouting yeah. ah ah on the movie. You know, so like how, mm-hmm. how has like that perception changed? Is that still the case from your from your own knowledge? Okay, I can I can only speak for I can only speak for um, Nigeria and what I see. If someone yeah. hears what I'm saying and they think it's ignorant, it's based on I'm, I can only speak from my perspective of what I've been exposed to. Yeah, definitely. I don't think people look at Nigeria as um, as uh, archaic and barbaric as how I was thinking about it, like looking at it like over how many years ago because of social media, right? Like you said, there are movements coming out of Africa. All these movements are being documented online, whether it's on social media with Instagram, Twitter, whether it's news, online news, you're seeing these move and and press like major publications giving, um, you know, the creators of these movements in Africa space on their public uh, on their platforms their platform. to feature them right yeah. where you're seeing nigerians in vogue you're seeing nigerians on cnn um outlining what they do and and how they've gone to where they've gotten to you see you know tech coming out of africa getting international press going viral things of that nature so it's definitely not as bad because of social media mm. um with that being said when you when when curation is left to when when curation is left to the individual, you're obviously going to curate like you have control over what you curate. 
So one thing I'm kind of against is as much as, you know, people abroad can see like, oh, Lagos is popping, uh, Nigeria is this, Nigeria is that. How many, how many states in Nigeria have, how many states in Nigeria have the type of PR that Lagos and Abuja have? Not that many. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying that they're not, you know, fashion stylists and creators and content creators that don't live in like, you know, other states, there definitely are. But the amount of, the amount of um, positive PR that Lagos and, and, and Abuja gets, um, it's like it's very it's disproportionate to like the the country as a whole. The general reality. So like, yeah. So you'll see people be like, "Oh, Nigeria's popping. Nigeria's popping," because they've seen ten Lagos popping people posting about Lagos. But it's like, but Nigeria has thirty six states, and um, even though in Lagos we don't even get like we don't even get like one one tenth of the type of insecurity that other states get. Um, so you maybe you'll hear like now you'll hear about insecurity in Lagos and it's bad. I'm not saying it's not bad, but like just times it by by five in other Nigerian states and people are not seeing that. They just say, um, maybe you're living in America, you're living in Canada. You yeah. follow like you know key key uh, Nigerian people that live in Nigeria and they're all like Lagos or Abuja people. Yeah. You might get one Pataka person, one you know whatever person and you think like this is this is the nigeria that i'm seeing so this is gonna shape my perspective you're not seeing north you're not seeing people in northeast the only time you hear about you know maybe that type of you know stuff happening in the north in the north or even in the south um southeast where i'm from you're hearing it from news you're not you're not seeing in the you're hardly seeing maybe like independent curators or independent journalists or independent content creators making content that is appealing of like the insecurity and like the negative things happening in those places yeah. if that makes sense hmm. that makes sense that makes sense what has been your experience like navigating your house search because this is something that i've actually told okay i've, I've told people about like uh how like uh shame more recently I've, and how like it's difficult to even like find a place in nigeria as a woman Mm-hmm. as a single woman so i don't know if that was like the case with you but i know you did have like mm-hmm. you do have a story about looking for a place in nigeria that i've heard in the past Can, could you mind like sharing about mm-hmm. that and you also you even said just yeah, now yeah. how you were evicted and i think i also missed that part as well mm-hmm. okay okay um so yeah like i told you when i first moved to Nige, i didn't have a place like i didn't have my own place i it was just like oh one of my friends that was my friend before I moved back, he um, had a property. He said I can rent one of the rooms, and I rented the room for like uh, six months. So that was relatively like no problem. So that was that was that was relatively that was relatively easy. You know, I didn't have to deal with any agents. Just had to pay my friend that I knew directly was living. So when it came time to like you know leave that space and actually find my like own place, I didn't know how difficult. And just to provide context, I've never had to find, like, renting my first apartment or my first, like, place to live on on my own, I ne- it was in Nigeria that I rented my first place. I didn't know what there's, like, I'd never had to experience, like, the renting or real estate processing in Yankee before I moved back. So, um, I knew nothing about, like, renting my first apartment place. or any of, anything of that nature. Hmm. Yeah, so when I was in Nige, um, I... The first place that I like rented where I was like, oh, I paid a significant amount of rent. I rented it with um, one of my friends at the time, right? But it was the friend that like signed the lease. It was the friend that handled dealing with the landlord. I was just like, bro, I don't want to deal with this. 
just sort it out and I'll give you my portion of the rent and then we just move in and start, you know, living and hustling in Lagos and stuff. If I tell you the amount of rubbish that I was, we were experiencing in that capa- in that level, I was so shocked. Like, for example, there were many people that, um, so we saw a few space, we saw a few places and um, we didn't like them because um, Nigerian people, they do not know how to build house. So you were seeing very ugly properties or very like, impractical properties and we're like no we don't want to live here so we finally found a place where it was like okay this is this is this is decent enough let's 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 run it let's meet the landlord let's finalize and do all this stuff this landlord was so difficult in the securing of that property that i should have looked at it as a red flag like don't live here but because we were like it was like desperation it was like man we just need to find a place like we need to find a place asap because accommodation one of the worst things that you can that can happen to you this nigeria is if you don't have steady accommodation because that thing can mess you up mess you up mentally so he was saying things like you know um where do you guys work um uh we had to like even kind of lie kind of like i was at the time i was working for not just okay but i wasn't i wasn't going to the office i was working virtually come and tell a nigerian landlord at that time that you're working virtually they'll not say are you doing Yahoo? like what is virtually why don't you wake up at 7 a.m and go to your office what what, what, do you, what do you mean you're telling me you work with your computer at home? They'll not think you're a criminal. They will not, not want to uh, they will not they will not want to rent to you. Then on top of that, are you married? Obviously you weren't married. So you're a single babes. You want to use my house as brothel. Or maybe you want to use my house to come and be doing uh, uh, runs or you know, whatever. We have to like convince him like, no, we're not. And even if you were, that's not his business, but at the time we're like, no, we're not. We just need a place to stay. So he finally, you know, we got over all those hurdles after asking a million and one profiling, prejudice questions. And then it came time to, like, find a guarantor to sign our lease. This, so we brought a woman guarantor to sign the lease. He said, no, if your guarantor is not a man, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not renting you this place. So in my brain, I'm like, what does it, why does it matter if the, the gender of the guarantor? guarantor. I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. So we have to go and find, you know, a guarantor that was a man. We finally agreed. We pay. We move in. Now, six months later, uh, my housemates decided that they wanted to, you know, find greener pastures and, like, you know, go to school in the UK. So I was like, okay, I don't care. Go. What's my business? You can go, you know, go to the UK. I still have six months left on the lease. Um, well, that move to the UK was the single worst thing that happened to me, my own, my own life, my own personal life. When they moved to the UK? She left when they moved to the UK, because when they moved to the UK, um, I remember this thing vividly, it was like December, it was December 2018. They had left to, you know, go back to their family house and prepare and leave, to leave Nigeria. And I had gone to Imo State. I came back from Imo State, and I get a text message saying that um, the landlord says you need to leave the house. I'm looking, I'm like, leave the house for what? I don't understand. They said that, oh, because I'm leaving, that you have to leave. And I'm like, but the landlord knows who I am. Like, the landlord has met me. I've paid my rent. If I need to show proof of, you know, payment and stuff, I'll do that. They're like, no, you have to leave. So um, I don't know what happened to this day. I maintain the stance. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened the month that I left to go to Imo State and come back. I don't know if maybe, you know, there was issue in the house. I don't know. But by the time I came back from Imo State, came back to my flat, they had changed the security guards. Um, I had to tell them, like, yo, I live here. They're like, we don't know you. I said, I showed them the key. They let me go inside. I did not stay in that house six days. The landlord's wife came to my flat and said, 
you need to leave this place in 24 hours. I said, and I, mind you, I've never met the landlord's wife before. So the landlord used, used style to tell his wife to come and evict me, not him, because he couldn't face me. Because if, if it was him that faced me, I'll not tell him, but you've met me before. I, you've come and fixed things in this flat on my behalf. So my landlord, uh, the landlady's wife came and she said, uh, you know, and the way she was looking at me, I can't, I can never forget the way this woman was looking at me. She was looking at me like I was the dirt under her shoe. She was like, we don't know who you are. You need, you have 24 hours to leave this house. I was like, you know, trying to be respectful, like, you know, good evening, ma, good evening, auntie. Let me explain myself, you know, this and the third. And she was like, no, you need to get out. Uh, you've been squatting here. The person who signed the lease, they told us they went to school in the UK. We don't know who you are. You need to get out. So, me, I don't, I'm, I'm someone who doesn't like conflict. My life has since changed. I'm with the violence now. Uh, but at the time, I wasn't with the violence. So, I didn't fight. I was like, well, they own the house. Um, I don't really have anybody to turn to. So, I spent that night packing my whole flat. And I left the house. Now, I didn't have no place to stay. Because... I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't a part of the, you know, apartment selection, selecting process when my housemate did it back then. So I literally, till now, still didn't have no idea of how you're supposed to start finding how you, where you're supposed to live at. So, um, I squatted at like two different places, couldn't stay there long because obviously, you know, it's not, it's not easy to just tell someone, hey, come and squat in my house. And on top of that, I'm a, I don't want to bring genesis, but I'm a babe. Like, I'm not trying to, I do not want to say this like, oh, it's easier for men to like be squatting on people's couches than women. I don't want to. I don't want to make it like that. But like, especially in a country like Nigeria, where gender is such a huge issue here. Like, maybe if it was in Yankees, like, oh, you know, I can go squat on someone's couch, and maybe I'm not saying like it, it would be safer to do that. And I'm not saying that, but just how in Nigeria, where the like women are just so unprotected, and like any small thing, women can just be harmed. I'm just sitting here like, oh, squatting here, you know, go here. I can't stay there long. Go here. I can't stay there long. So, one of my friends, and it was very. This is when it. This is when like life really taught me like the people that help you the most are not really your friend. Like are not your guys like this. Your like the people sessions. that God comes like that God brings to help you will be people that when I look back on the person that helped me through that whole experience, never in my wildest dream will I think it was that person that would help me the way that they helped me, bro. Never. Like in my list of friends, this person was low. Not low because, like, I didn't like them. It was just low in terms of, like, proximity to the person. Yeah. I used to see them. I, I probably only saw them, like, ten times in my life since the how many years I've lived in Nige. For whatever reason, something was like, I, I should call this person. And I called this person. And that person, I don't even want to get, I can't even start, like, articulating how deeply the person helped me. But if not for that person, I probably would have been left and went back to America or, like, something bad would have happened to me or whatever. They let me stay at their house for a long period of time. Um, until I was able to like find my own flat, move in, you know, pay for my flat, move in and stuff like that. So that one instance of that, you know, situation was like what gave me hope. Because by that time when I got kicked out and then, you know, I'm not going to say I told people because in Nigeria it's funny. If I was a Yankee, I wouldn't be ashamed to say, man, I got everything for my flat too. Because you can understand like things like that happen all the time. You come to Nigeria and tell you, say you got flat, uh, uh, kicked out. That's how they'll start using your name to gossip. Ah, this one doesn't have money. Ah. This one did this one. So I was very hesitant of like being open about it. Not because I was ashamed, but just, I just, you just know how people in this Lagos just, just behave, right? They'll start think, judging you, doing what is not their business or whatever. So the few people I even told, they weren't very helpful. 
And there was a long period of time where I was like, I, w- I think I, w- I had anger towards that. But then I got over it. Like, why should I be angry? Like, I'm not entitled to anybody helping me, which is a sad reality. Like, as much as I, you'd want to feel like if you pour into people, uh, that they would not pour into you when you need it, that's not the case. So when you pour into people, just do it because you want to do it, not because you're expecting that someone now help you in your own time of need. Um, so that experience was really traumatic. Like, 2019 uh, was, like, the worst year for me because I was trying to mind you I was still creating content so, so that was the same year that I did um the native Nike mag collaboration that happened I, I shot that campaign with them um I still hosted native land that year uh I still was doing events but I was not, I did not have my own place like I was squatting somewhere so you it's like you, you squat you know you do what you gotta do get in the Lagos streets to go and hustle come back, be sad, be, you know, demoralized, be like, yo, what, what am I, is this even worth it? Like, all this stuff I'm doing, is it worth it? You still gotta get up, dress up, you know, um, it's funny because, like, I'm somebody who, you know, people think I'm very, like, fashionable. That, during that eviction process, so when I moved from Yankee to Nice, I brought, like, my whole wardrobe. Like, I brought everything. So, you know, I moved to Nice the first time with $300, but then, you know, you make yeah. money, you're Nice, other stuff. So the next time I went back to Nice, I brought, I was paying excess luggage, bringing clothes, you know, thrifting at the thrift stores and stuff and bringing my stuff back. When I got evicted from my place, um, I had to carry all my load and go and like keep it somewhere. And that place where I kept it, all my clothes got destroyed. Mm-hmm. So like for that year where I was squatting and even when I even got to my own place, I didn't have that many clothes until now. I still even I don't have that many clothes, and now I'm comfortable saying it. Like before, I used to be like, maybe I shouldn't say it. I don't. I don't give a damn. I don't care. I don't have that many clothes anymore. I just. I just. I'm just resourceful, and that's from living in Yankee, where you you shop at the thrift stores. You know, this is years of these rings is like years of collection. Uh, the stuff I have is just years of you know always building my wardrobe. So when all my clothes got destroyed and I came out like, and and I have to like go back into like you know the the social scene and and do events and stuff. Lagos makes you, makes you, Lagos is, is, it takes a toll on your brain. Because if I was in Yankee and this happened, you wouldn't be ashamed or you wouldn't feel guilt or you wouldn't feel any like weird emotion. And naturally I'm someone that doesn't feel guilt or shame with stuff like that. But when you live in Niger, people are so obsessed, like you can't wear things twice. You can't People are very elitist for a country that's struggling. Bro, so (laughs) now you that, that didn't used to care about stuff like that. You live in a country where everyone around you cares about that. It will, it can subconsciously, uh, seep into your own way of thinking yeah. and then you'll now be like you won't know when you subconsciously start allowing that thing affect you so hmm. there was a time there was a point in time where I'll just be like in addition to just not wanting to go out I just stopped going out because I'm like bro I don't feel like I don't I don't it's long like it's long to think of okay what outfit can I recreate out of what I have what can I do here I've wore this thing this but then I was just like but I don't care about this before I moved to Nigeria, I didn't care about this so why hmm. should I care about it now I'm like free that thing I'll wear this if I as, I don't know if you're recording this thing on video I'll wear this thing outside let somebody say so I don't give a damn don't talk to me so um yeah it really affected me because I was creating content in 2019 and people could look at it like oh my gosh you know look at what Jess is doing look at what Jess Jess was doing that stuff and she was not in her own house okay Jess was hmm. doing this stuff and she was sad as hell but you have to keep pushing because if I didn't push through 2019, I wouldn't be here in 2021 with, you know, doing my podcast again, doing this, mm. the content that I'm doing. So yeah. um, the experience of, like, accommodation and, like, you know, uh, it, it's very deep. Because I know you just asked me a simple question, like, how has my experience been finding a home in Lagos? But it, like, it seeps into all other aspects of your life. It affects your, create, it, 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 uh, it affects your, your work. 
It affects your mental health. When people are constantly rejecting, because before I even found the flat I'm in now, how many people were profiling me? Like, there were times I found like two places I actually liked. The first place, the reason why I didn't get it is because the day the agent took me there, I was wearing rings. The guy looked at me and said, you need to remove your rings. I said, remove my rings for a while. He said, just remove the rings. They said, why? They said, because if they see you, they'll think you're an artist and then they won't want to rent to you. I'm like, what, the, what does that mean? Um, I had to remove the ring to talk to the to talk to the landlady. Yeah, yeah. Then I found out the lady were like they're like you know these super super Christians, right? And I'm Christian though, but like I'm on maybe Christian get Christianity get level because this woman was like very like I I promise you she looked at me and was like she probably don't want to rent to me just because I wasn't I don't know like I wasn't even wearing nothing white I think I was wearing a t-shirt jeans whatever had my rings but maybe she wanted someone with the skirt someone who would, like had a more conservative look or something I don't know. Then her house. The landlord's house was next to the was next to the apartment I wanted. I said, I'm about to enter Hellfire again because the house I got evicted from, the landlord's house was next to the flat. So they could see the whole, you're not leaving the house every day. You're coming back at 12. You're doing yeah. all this. So I said, over my dead body, will I live next to somebody who, the house they want to rent is next to their own property. The second place I found, I found the place. I love the place. I went in to go and have the meeting with the lawyer. So the lawyer is supposed to represent the landlord um, for the property. She had a meeting with me, and then I called back to hear about what happened to the meeting. She never picked up my call again. So I'm pretty sure she said, "We're not renting to her. She don't have no. She doesn't have a, a, a office job. We can't confirm that she's gonna make the the income needed to pay for the rent yearly." And then I didn't get it. So when I finally got this place, like it was a long and strenuous, exhausting and mentally draining process to get to where I'm where I'm at now. Very That's a very interesting. As in, from <laughs> you know, you opened so many doors with just that house hunt story. You know, yes. Yeah. Yeah. All this time that you've been, you know, sort of pushing yourself, hustling. Mm-hmm. Um, because I know you did something with Jameson mm-hmm, one time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. How's that? How's that experience been? Is it easy for you to get those kind of looks, or was that just a one-time gig? Um, right. You know, how is it being who you are in Lagos? How many brands are coming to look for you right now? Right. Okay. So, like I said, when I first moved, I th- well, I think I said this off the pod. I don't. I don't think I said it on here. But like, mm. you know, when you first co- when you first move back, you know, you're a shiny, a shiny golden object that everybody wants to like a plaything. You know, and then after you know you know how toys are. Once, 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 they, once, he, once a child plays with the toy enough hmm. and a new toy comes along, they throw the old toy away, right? And that's very symbolic of, uh, I think, those of us who, not those, let me, you know what? I take that back. Let me speak for myself. I'm not speaking for other diaspora people that move back. Let me speak for myself. Hmm. How I perceived it, now whether my perception is right or wrong, is a different conversation because your own perception is your own reality. When I came back and I still had my accent and it was really fresh, like now my accent is just, there's some locality, like, that has entered inside my Yankee accent. Um, you know, my skin not as fresh, you know. Uh, I've lost weight. Like, I mean, I was never, like, thick or, like, I, I don't think I was ever the, like, ideal, like, oh, she's thick, da da, da. But, like, you know, I had some, I had a little bit more, you know, weight on me. Hmm. Uh, suffering has made that weight reduce. Um, you know, now you you hustling and, uh, you know, running, entering downfall, running here, using bike, this stuff. You lose weight now. So I'm not as, I'm not as sought after. I believe that I'm not, I was, I'm not as sought after now as I was back then. Now that perception could be different to somebody else. Like someone could look at me from the outside and be like, what are you talking about? You still be here, you still be here, you still be here. Yeah. It was way easier when I first moved back. I'm not gonna cap. 
Um, I'm not. Before I used to be mad at. I used to be frustrated when Nigerians would say, "You people will come from Yankee and get things easy." There's not. It's not. It's not a lie. Like, mm-hmm. yes, we still have to suffer here, but like, come on. Like, there's some advantages that we have just because we're not products of this environment and the way that Nigerians look at their own. Like, the way the country views their own citizens is trash. Yeah. Any slither of foreignness, they will prioritize it over people that were were that are just in this country and they can't leave. And I think a good example of that, at least as far as what Wallace is still in Nigeria, is like radio. Like the yes, millions facts. of people who study mass communication or journalism yep. and the whole yep. of Nigerian radio has as many British accents as radio in London. They have so, British accents deeper than people that are actually living in in, 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 in the in, UK. In, in <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, I can I think like you can see that in other aspects as well. Yeah, so to, to draw it back to, you know, Idris's question, you know, uh, it was, I've gotten, I've been able to work with brands throughout my, you know, duration of living in Nige, but like I said, it was when I, when I first moved back, because even the Jameson ambassadorship program, uh, or not ambassadorship program, sorry, when I did the billboard campaign uh, for Jameson, um, shout out to TZ, because TZ, he was really the one, I think, that facilitated that. TZ from DRB. Um, yeah, from DRB, because, I mean, I say this all the time, I was heavily associated with the Ultimate Movement at one point, and I didn't know what that thing was. I just came, and these cool people, like, embraced me, and they weren't making fun of me, and they appreciated my style and my way of thought and my dress and how I moved and stuff. And I think Jameson was really one of the first brands that was had the enough forethinking to tap into, like, that Ultimate uh, Movement, and they now cultivated, like, their brand around that kind of... so. I was a uh, at that time like they were all tip babes, but I don't know I don't know why they chose me, to be honest I don't know. I think maybe because I because I'm not gonna talk I don't know why they chose me the shot chose me hmm. and then I was the you know ambassador for you know that billboard campaign and then when I hosted Native Land once again TC kind of like facilitated that in the sense where he was like he he brought he gave them my name as an option and I did it and I did it well I think that's an open door for me because they were like who is this babe. She can, you know, speak well. She can hold her own. She has the look. She's doing this. She's doing this. And then it was just like, boom, 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 boom. Like, things were just, opportunities were just coming. And I was just like, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, now, in the present, <laughs> it's not the same. The, the, the vibe is not the same. Hmm, yeah. the, the energy the energy is, is, is very different. I've done more campaigns with, like, I've done more campaigns with, like, international brands wanting to create content in Nigeria hmm. than I've done with like local Nigerian brands yes. wanting to do stuff in Nigeria. Um, I don't know if because I don't fit their target market. I don't know what it is. Uh, but like I've done work where like I've had to create content for Beats by Dre. Um, you know, I've done work with like uh, this UK uh, company called Farfetch. But the own like MTN or Maggie, wh- wh- whoever the top brands are in Nigeria, they don't come. So, you know, I still am able to do it. They're, well, I say they're as consistent. No, because I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a product of nepotism. I don't have anybody like, at least me, I don't know, but I don't have people calling, I don't know if people are still calling my name inside all these secret rooms in all these PR agencies. I want to be like, oh yeah, we need influencer. Who should we call? I don't know if they call my name, Sha, but all the people that reach out to me, I try to ask like, oh, thank you for reaching out. You know, shout out to whoever referred me. And, like, it would be, like, the weirdest things. Like, people will say, like, oh, this one random person I never met before hmm. told them 
they ask them who are a list of content creators in Lagos and they call my name. So that's how I'm still maintaining, you know, some of the brand, uh, the brand collabs and partnerships that I do till today. Yeah. Right. You uh, touched a bit on the Alter scene. Would you... Yes, sir. What... How would you... um, Would you say, first of all, would you say you're part of that scene? And what would you say that scene is to you? Yeah. Okay. You might... Okay, Starting by describing what is Ote. Okay. Damn. In 2021, we still got to describe what this thing is. That's crazy. Oh, I'm tired of describing it. It's Clubhouse. that made it even worse, man. I don't want to even say anything again because of how many times I have to explain this thing. <sighs> okay. Now, disclaimer. This is the Jess Finesse definition. Okay? There's apparently multiple definitions flying around. Please. If my own definition doesn't fit other people's definition, sorry. This is my own definition. That's where you see them. So, yes. Alte to me is a culture. All right? It is not a genre of music. Like, everybody, like for a long time, people just, you know, it was just Alte music. They didn't used yeah. to, they don't used to glorify and amplify Alte music. They yeah. wouldn't look at the fact that there's fashion associated with this thing. There's actual lifestyle, like the way you move, the mm-hmm. way you do things. It was just Alte music. So I think when I was introduced, because I was not here when it started, um, I know on Loose Talk, I was able to bring DRB on to kind of give their backstory of how Alte started. First, I brought on Baj, because Baj is literally the person the pioneer. that the word Alte came out yeah. from his mouth. Like, if you want to know the, the seed that they planted to birth, he came out from Baj's mouth. Then he was now in a group with DRB. They embraced that, you know, culture, and they, they pushed it forward. Like, there's people that want to argue, oh, but wasn't so-so-so person considered Alte? See, anybody that was doing Alte before the word came out, I wouldn't consider them, because they weren't, the word wasn't even in existence when they were existing. Um, So I came in when it was already, like, the word already was in existence. Um, They were still, like, bubbling. So, like, you know, Santi had just transitioned to, went from RZB to Santi, I think. Maybe you can get him on the on this podcast to confirm the real story. Maybe I'm misyearning. We'll get him. Was like, we'll get you him know, next. Bubbling is, you know, God's grace. Um, you know, Lady Donnelly was, you know, getting her flat. Like, it was bubbling at that time. Yeah. So how I got introduced into it was not because I'm an artist. I do not sing. I do not rap. I do not want to sing. I do not want to be an artist. Um, was just, like, how I acted. Like, I yeah. literally came from... Because if you think about it, this is how I dressed in America. Like, how I dressed in Nice that, you know, people were calling me, I'll tell you, this is how I was dressing in America. Like, this is how I was dressing when I go to college and in high school, I won best dress. After I stopped being Bush and after I stopped being, you know, I shedded off my layers of, of Nigerian boarding school, I now blossomed into a butterfly. I was winning best dress in my high school. Um, I, you know, went to college. I stood out like a, I stuck out like a sore thumb in my college with how I dressed, then all that stuff. So I, I was used to dressing like this. So you come to Nige and you're dressing like this and people's eyes are falling out from their head and it's like, to me, I'm like, what are y'all talking about? This is normal. And you can go to Canada, you be in Canada, you see fashion forward people. You, you're in America, you see fashion forward people. You're in UK, you see it. But in Nigeria, it was still relatively like new. Or when people would dress like that, they would call them weird. Or like, why are you dressing? Like, like what is this? So when I came, um, shout out to Uzi. There's a young, you know, pioneer. Um, he goes by the name of Prince Uzi, Uzi Jets, whatever. I remember when I moved back from my NYC and um, I was connected to him. Is this and he's the person that... In- 
Is this um, Uzi from Severe Nature? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uzi from Severe Nature was the catalyst of why I, you know, came in contact with Severe Nature. Yeah. Why I came? Why he's the one that introduced me to TZ. I went to primary school. So it. Yep. So. You went to primary school with him. He, yeah, it was my classmates. My about to get to what? That's that's. Yeah. See how see how see how small you know, Nigeria is, is but know. he was literally the catalyst from exposing me to like the cool part of Nigeria. Like he's the one that brought me into Altesine, if I have to accredit it to somebody. Then, you know, obviously he passed, rest in peace. Um, and that's how I, you know, came in contact with Severe Nature, was working with them a little bit, like, you know, creating content and stuff like that. Um, then when I hosted Native Land, that's how, like, I started to be exposed to, like, the artists in that, you know, in that space. Hmm. And then before you know it, like, like you said, shiny object, you just came from Yankee, you, like, you look the part, you speak the part. They're inviting you everywhere. And then because of, you know, my, you know, charismatic personality and me just being very inquisitive, I ask a lot of questions. Like, I talk too much when I like people and I ask a lot of questions. So trying to learn about the scene and stuff. And when I liked, I'm somebody that if I like something, I'll carry it on my head. So before you knew now, I'm just, I, nobody's paying me. It's not paid promo. It's not paid tweet, not paid nothing. I'm just talking about this scene to ev- like ev- to everyone. Hmm. Before you know, I'm appearing in music videos. Um, there's a lot of events that they would do, and I was just, I was just a part of it in some capacity, whether I was a host of the event or, like, you know, talking about the event or just pulling up to the event and just showing support and love and stuff like that. And that's how I now enter the scene for real. Um, then, before you know, they were just calling me Alte. Like, that's how I got the, the, the nickname Alte Dollar, which Alte is supposed Dola. to be a playoff, Alte Dollar. Hmm. And I got that from Legendary Beats, actually. Legendary Beats... Um, Mute from Legendary Beats named me that, hmm. and it just stuck. Yes. And I was gonna say that's how I, that's how I, actually how I have your name uh, saved on my phone or Tedola. Yeah, like <laughs> even my my external flash that I'm saving these things to is titled Ote Dola, Ote Dola. Like, and that's funny because the person that gave me this flash they live in Yankee, and we had a photo shoot in Yankee before I moved back to Niger, I think, and he tried to like the pictures were a lot, so he sent he gave a flash drive to somebody to bring to Niger to give to me. And I turned, I put the flash drive in my laptop, and it said Alte Dollar. I said, "Oh my, this branding is strong. Like even people in Yankee are that's calling me Alte Dollar." Yeah, um, but that's how like I, I got introduced into it. It was just you know my natural self. I guess just fit the brand of what they were trying to do. Um, they accepted me, they embraced me, and because I felt that love and that sense of community, yeah. I was willingly carrying it on my head the way I was carrying it on my head. Hmm. So you would say those people were the people that sort of birthed this alter scene, right? And you sort of were, you know, Not welcomed really by them. Yeah. Because Facts. of the way you just dressed, the way you just acted. And what do you yeah. think that scene has sort of grown to become? Um, and what part or what role have you played in making it what it has become? Hmm. I feel like that what role have I played? I'll have to answer politically because, I mean, I don't want to say the one thing that maybe someone will argue that maybe that's not it, but I'm allowed to speak for my own POV, I guess. Uh, I think the goal that they had for it, I think it has been achieved. Okay. Um, but there's a lot of, like, personal opinions I have and critiques I have, but those personal critiques, I can be, uh, I can be honest and say that's independent of, like, what the movement has done. So, obviously... You know, like I said, DRB will have to be the ones that will tell you, you know, what uh, from their own mouth, like, maybe all their goals. But I think for me, 
they wanted this when I when I was introduced to the scene, right? They were not getting the respect and they were not getting the shine that they have now. Hmm. Like I remember I had moved back to Niger in, you know, 2016 for NYC, then came back December 27. Uh, and that's when Uzi introduced me to, you know, people right before he passed. Right. Then I went back to Yankee for a year. Then I moved back that December 2017 where I told you I only had $200 and this and that's third. Mm-hmm. So when I came back and I did Native Land, um, that was like, you know, that 2018 period. It was kind of like, it was interesting because you can literally see the growth happen. Or I can literally see the growth happen. It went from, you know, them having to uh, create their own shows, underground show that they will now go and perform in like you know one small place and they hmm. are like raging in that small place to now being in, uh, invited to like perform on like bigger stages like beat fm um uh what else like giddy fest things of that nature so hmm. the the bane of like the alter movement right something that i will ten toes this is why i really believe is one of the biggest factors of this uh, or characteristics of this movement yeah. is like saying these gatekeepers or mainstream Nigeria or the people that came before us are telling us that you must do it this, this way, way in order to make it. We say, no, we cannot do it that way. We cannot do it that way because we don't have the money to be bribing people. Hmm. We can't do it that way because um, that way is outdated. Like imagine you, you've been having access to technology and, and you know access to the internet and people are still telling you you have to come and meet one Egbon and go and give them money under the table to play. Like, you just look at it like you, some of these things are still very outdated. Like mm. the way they still do stuff, despite the amount of technology you have in this world, is still somewhat outdated. So we're looking at it like, we don't have the money to bribe nobody. We have access to te- technology. We know how to use the damn technology. If you don't want to p- play us on radio, we're going to figure out this SoundCloud and we're going to use the SoundCloud to our advantage. You don't want to play us on radio, we're going to use MySpace. You don't want to play us on radio, we're going to use Facebook. Hmm. And you're literally bypassing every gate that has been put in front of you that you cannot enter for whatever reason. So from seeing them, you know, performing in like underground venue, seeing you using a phone to record content, um, you know, you not having money to to rent red uh, camera, like how these, uh, you know, signed artists, all these Nigerian record labels can bring three million and be renting red and be renting this and be paying for big production. You don't have access to that. But you have cool people, you have people that can dress, you have people that have been exposed to like Western creativity that, you know, if you try to maybe explain it in Nigeria for them to do, they'll just be like, this is dumb, this is not gonna work. Mm-hmm. How can you be using Yankee this or UK this and come and try to do it in night? This, yeah. this is how you do it in night. That, that, that line, this is how you do it in night, that's what's causing problem in this country. People are not, a lot of people are not open to change because this is how we do it in night. And it's like, just because you live this in Nigeria does not negate. See, last, last. That's that's how they, that's the song that they be singing here, and they be holding <laughs> people back because it's like just because you exist in this country does not mean you can't Brought utilize the experiences that you've had from other places. Yeah. And just because I'm a Nigerian doesn't mean like I'm a monolith. It doesn't mean like because I'm Nigerian, I only know how to do it the Nigerian way. I'm Nigerian, but I was born here, or I've traveled here, I went to school here. Hmm. I come back to Niger, those things don't leave my body. Just because I moved tonight doesn't mean I don't know anything about the how many years I was living in America. It doesn't mean I, I've, I've thrown away the, the however many years of uh, university education I had in, in another country. Yeah. I come back, you mix the two together. You mix your culture and your, your, your uh, Western experiences together, and then you create content. So 
these, you know, quote unquote, alter people, alter guys, alter girls, alter, you know, people of the Lagos, use those to their advantage and was creating content. Like, literally, was like, we're not going to sit here and be depressed that we don't have money to pay these people. We're not going to sit here and be depressed that people don't rate us. We're not going to sit here and be depressed that we want to book shows and want to perform on the same stages as these mainstream artists and they won't let us. Let's go do our own thing. Yeah. Before you knew it, like, the thing was picking a wildfire. And it will actually be ignorant of these people that were once gatekeepers to negate the fact that this movement was growing. So it went from you not seeing an Odunsi on any type of mainstream stage to you seeing, you know, Santi and Odunsi and Dio performing at Beat FM concerts. Hmm. Um, it went from, you know, maybe having, you know, these small underground shows to Native doing their, you know, first Native land, where it's like the owners of the movement, the owners of that magazine, the owners of that platform are people associated with the Altair movement. If they want a bloody book, all the artists to perform in that stage to be Altair artists, they have every right because it's their platform. They created their own gates. They created their own tables. And they started eating. So, um... See, hmm. that's, that's how it's grown. So it grew in that, in, that, in that way. And if you look at it, like, in 2021, like I said, I'm going to answer this politically because um, it's not Clubhouse. And I'm, I'm tired of even, you know, having to re- repeat this thing over and over again. It has not become popular. Like, the word Altair is now... has now been incorporated into, like, popular culture in Nigeria, yeah. right? Um... You're even seeing people not in Nigeria using the word Altair. Like, I think I, I've seen them say, like, have Altair-themed events or, like, calling something Altair in Ghana. I've seen it in, in different African countries. So the word has traveled from hmm. out of Baji's mouth to now it has. It's, it's touched it's no multiple more countries in Africa. Yeah. It has gone to the point where, like, the last time I, mo- I was in Yankee, um, I did, like, a couple podcasts. And, uh, you know, I, I had this amazing interview um, that... Uh, I did and they were asking me about the Altair movement the same way y'all are in Canada asking about the Altair movement the difference is that y'all are close to like you guys still have close ties to Nye so you guys are seeing it but the yeah. person I had the interview with um, this girl was not Nigerian never been to Nigeria um, and was you know telling me you know tell me about Odusi tell me about Santi and just to see how wide the movement has spread it's different when maybe you're the artist and maybe you don't travel to you know at that time, maybe they weren't traveling to these places. Now, you know, Odunsi and Santi and Don—they all, because of like the amount of um, exposure, traction, and like exposure. Now, they're yeah. doing shows in the UK. They're doing shows abroad. They have, you know, deals with international companies and international corporations for distribution, for partnership, for all these types of things. Yeah. But back then, maybe you know, they weren't as big at the time, and there were people that were non-Nigerians, people that didn't live in Nigeria that were asking about this movement, telling me how much they love this movement. All I was doing, my contribution was like, anytime I had a chance to talk about the movement, I would talk about it. Yeah. Like, I could go on an interview and just talk about myself. You know, I'll go on an interview and be talking about, if they ask me about Ote, I will break that thing down the way I see fit. And that's how I'm educating that person's listenership about the movement. And that's where I feel like I contributed to it spreading. Another way I contributed was like, when I got the Loose Talk gig, um, I, the reason why I, I, I agreed to go on there, because I'm not going to lie, I was about to not go. I was about to not accept it because I was like, man, I don't feel like dealing with mainstream Nigerians who will come and start judging me or who will come and start. I was thinking like maybe the fans of Loose Talk were like the fans of Instablog. So maybe I'll go on there now. Some of you just be slandering me up and down. I'm not Nigerian enough. I'm not this. So I didn't want to take it. But then I was like, you know what? This would be the perfect opportunity to be able to, um, you know, spread the movement even more, yeah. uh, you know, 
expose maybe Nigerians that are not uh, familiar with the alternate movement because it's actually still at that time there was a lot of Nigerians who still didn't know what it was hmm. and I was able to like use that platform to talk about it and at least spread it within Nigeria as well as the diaspora listenership that we had so I was just a mouthpiece if I'm being honest I was just an alternate mouthpiece hmm. that's how I contributed to the movements yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yep. So, what's your now that you've been in Nigeria for like a couple of years now? How many years? Even mm-hmm. I said I probably put like four years from at least what you said. Yeah, if I if I put my I'm on my. Hold on. So if December 2021 would make it four years that I've been here since, since that time final. I moved here with $300, hmm. but then if you add the extra year of NYAC. That will make it five. Five years. Oh, okay. Five. Yeah. So I feel like you're settled now. I think I feel like you're finding ground with your podcast starting. So what's like? Yeah. What's like? What's your goal? What's your goal now? What's what's like? What's next for like the Just Finesse brand? I want to make a lot of money. Okay. That's. <laughs> I don't have any deep. I don't. How, I don't have any how, deep. How, uh, how do you want to? How do you want to make that money? Um, with all the content I'm creating, like, I want to be able to get to a point where, like, brands are coming to talk to me and, be, and they're talking big figures when they want to partner with me on stuff. Yeah. Okay, I'll say um, maybe more specifically, like, what's that? Okay, I guess that's the goal. What, how, what's, mm-hmm. what should be, like, what are we, what, what, what are we expecting from you? Like, in terms of, like, your content, what direction are you planning to go? Are you planning to go more into PR? Um, is podcasting um, like the platform for you or you're just going to be like a generalist i used to be someone who's like super super like oh i have to have some like well put together thought out answer yeah um i have to be like super intentional i'm still super intentional like even with agreeing to come on this podcast um but to be honest i don't have a i don't have a i don't have a thought out answer like before i would maybe feel guilty i don't have no thought out answer I was so intentional. Starting from 18 years old, I've had to like grow up faster than I was supposed, like not faster than I was supposed to, but I was taking on so much responsibility, so many things at a young age, that now that I'm actually older, I actually want to just be chill. Like I just want to be able to say, I go in, I create this content, I go and sleep, and the thing makes money. So if I had to like really itemize it for real, with this podcast, um, I'm not doing it with an agency that really has monetization in mind. Yeah. So I don't have to be cracking my brain on like, oh, what do I need to do to do this? Why need, the, the people I work with, they yeah, are known for that. It. They are the ones analyzing data. They're the ones tracking numbers. Like me, I don't like looking at numbers with anything. And maybe that's one of my downfalls. Like the amount of content I put out, I don't go and sit there and be like, oh, this thing only had 10 likes. I don't care. I just put it out. It's not like, because all the opportunities that have come to me, the reason why they came to me is because I put it out. I, I don't have the money to be putting into marketing and all that stuff because, like I said, I got rent to pay next week. Uh, so it's not practical for me to carry my money and be doing ad, 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 this, this, this. So this and agency sorts that out? So they sort it out okay. for, the, for the most part. Okay. Um, so working with, being intentional with my work. So before anybody that will call me, oh, let's, do, let's work together, let's collab. I'll be like, okay, sure, let's do it. Let's collab. I don't do that anymore. If you're not giving me plan on what we're doing, yeah. I'm not going there based on vibe anymore. I'm not going there based on, oh, I believe in what you're doing. I can believe all I want. If there's no plan there, I'm not entering. I think I paid my dues of working aimlessly or just working based on vibes. I'm not, I'm not working based on vibes anymore. Yeah. So um, 
just really being consistent. Another thing is like, now with this podcast, uh, I think I've definitely grown. Like I said, these 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 years of living in Nigeria have really, really, really taught me tenacity, have taught me resilience, um, have taught me like discipline and being consistent. Because if it was before any small thing that will happen to me, I'll just be like, man, just cancel this thing. Actually, I don't want to take it. It's yeah. fine. Don't pay me. I carry. I'll just carry my my L and be going. But now I have to learn how, like, even through my emotions, even through, like, the problems of this country, I still got to keep going in every week to go and record this thing. I was doing that already with, like, Loose Talk and even the first podcast. Like, all the podcasts I've been a part of, we do it weekly. So all you people buy, me- buy weekly podcasts, monthly podcasts. It's not me. Every week you show up and you put out content every week. So um, it's harder to do that now. Look at Nigeria with this insecurity. I'd be scared to leave my house to go to the studio to, go to, the studio to record my podcast. But I have to be like, yo despite the fact that I could potentially get kidnapped, despite the fact they could potentially rob me, I'm going to get into this, you know, taxi, and I'm going to go to my place of work, I'm going to work, and I'm going to go and, you know, put out the best content I can put out and try and do my best. So consistency is one thing of with my, of with my podcast, getting to the point where we can find advertisers, getting to the point where I can, you know, create, you know, partnered content with brands. With um, just, just finesse stuff, like uh, branded content creation, it's just to keep doing it. Um, as you create more content, and now there's even more visibility in Nigeria, the goal is like you know for even more brands to reach out to me. Yeah. And with my portfolio, I can call bigger numbers. As I talk to you right now, there's still some people that disrespect me in this night, <laughs> and they'll call me to come and do content, and they ask me to do 50k. 50k right now it with the dollars 500 naira, it it me. It they're still calling me to do some 50k. <laughs> uh, uh. Like you know. And it's not even like a whole me based on like I'm bragging, but it's like how many years of work I put in years in this stuff. Like it's not, I didn't start yesterday. Like 50K cannot pay for my freaking two months internet to even, you know, be on Instagram every day for, you, for me to post the deliverables that they be wanting and stuff. So it's really to really work um, up and continue building content that when brands come or when I reach out to brands, they're agreeing to the numbers I'm calling. Hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like the same thing as being an artist. Like, a lot of these artists, they just started making the type of money that they're proud of. And they've been in the game for, like, how many years? Yeah. Like, many of these artists, you ask them how many times, how long have they been doing music? Nine years, ten yeah. years, eight years. It's only 20, like, maybe 19, 2020. 20, even, you can maybe even go back as far as 2017. That, like, they've started seeing that, those big figures. Yeah. It's the same thing with content creators. Influencer marketing is still, like, influencer marketing and, like, even brands looking out for individual content creators to create content with them. In Nigeria, like in, in abroad, right? I'm not saying like the structure is there abroad, but like you can see where somebody can say, oh, a brand paid them $10,000 for a post or something. Yeah. In Nigeria, they're still trying to do based on vibe. Like they still want to play you. They still want to, they still hope you're stupid that if they tell you 20K, you agree to 20K. Yeah. And and they think you don't, they, they need to play on the fact that you don't know your value. So me, I know my value. So as I'm using these, these next, you know, one to two years to build up all the, hmm content options I'm I've, I've started up doing again I'm gonna say no to stuff that doesn't value me and you know keep right. pushing so please though my only goal is I want to make money <laughs> you know how like in the music scene you would say like David Doe Whiskey Burner Boy at the top yeah for content creators like who who would you right. say are those yeah people you know who's at the top of that hmm. in Nigeria uh, probably Instagram comedians Okay. Those ones, those are the ones I know. They're making money. Okay. I remember, I remember they said, um, Miraji, like at the time, oh, this was a couple years ago. She was making like 
500k to 1 million of posts. Hmm. I don't know how true it was. I don't know where they found the information from. But Instagram comedians, because everybody in this country loves to laugh, whether the jokes are dead or not, they like they like laughing. Yeah. So brands look at them like, if they can get, if I can put my thing in their skits, then you know it's gonna it's gonna have the numbers. Yeah. So those people are really up there. Um, but now you're seeing like, uh, then like certain TV personalities. So like, I think for OAPs, I might be wrong, but all these OAP and TV presenters, I don't hmm. think they do that work because of the money. I think they do that work because of the um, exposure. And how much influence they get. So then they, like, when brands want to reach out to them for other stuff, they can upcharge. Hmm. Like, because if you ask, like, how much, I don't know how much they pay OAPs. Um, but I should remember that the one time they wanted me to be on TV, I don't really care that I'm casting them. Uh, when I first, I don't remember the year when I moved back, but this is definitely between NYC year and the first, excuse me, year I moved back. Yeah. Somebody, a TV producer at Spice TV, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Spice TV. Spice, no. It's a fashion. It's a fashion music. It's like a fashion lifestyle channel in Nigeria. Okay. Um, they reached out to me to become a host of a show, right? So at first I was like, okay, bet. Like this makes sense. Like, oh, if I become a host on a show, da da da, I'm gonna make you know money, da da da. These people wanted to pay me. Don't quote me, and I don't know. I, I think I even still have the contract. And this is like years ago. It's collecting dust with my passport. <laughs> I didn't want to pay me like either two. 200k or 300k hmm. to record 13 episodes of one season and these episodes it would take like maybe eight hours plus a day to shoot it so if you divide the if you divide that three i don't remember how much it was but if you divide that money amongst the episodes yeah. it'll be like 20k an episode, an episode yeah. on something that's going on tv that they're paying advertisers to do that they are, you know, like these TVs are, it's collecting bread. They want to only pay me that much money. So like, I think maybe if I got the job and I was like, you know, let me not collect, let me not think about the money. Let me just do this job. I could have become one, you know, blown TV personality that everyone knows in Nigeria. And then maybe if a brand comes to me, I will not be able to charge them. Okay, so, so many hundred thousand naira for something. Um, So OAPs and like maybe TV personalities, you see a lot of them. They, diver- they diversify their offerings. From radio, they're not hosting shows. They're not brand ambassadors. They're not this, they're not that. Those people are really up there when it comes to content creation. Now, if you're talking about people who do content creation, like, because me, I do content. I'm talking about, I'm going every to do a podcast. You're giving me product. I'm taking pictures. I'm incorporating brands into my lifestyle. I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Maybe because I'm just not i not exposed to the person. But the top people are probably people that cater to mainstream Nigeria. I don't cater to mainstream Nigeria. So I can never be a top person. It's until like, mm. I'm getting Instablog type comments on my content. That's probably when I'll say I bloom. <laughs> like, that's when you know you bloom. When the people from all manners of Nigeria are coming to come and write on your posts or like share your work and stuff like that. Yeah. So the biggest content creators, the prob- people that are probably getting the most money are the people that like, are like big brother people. Like, all the mm. big brother people, those mm. are the people that... That's true. Almost, those guys are pretty big. They probably... I don't know mm. if they have to work again, the yeah. way they make them seem. Those people become, like, instant... I, I don't know what is super influencer, but those are probably the biggest people. Yeah. Big brother is now a very big uh, thing. And a lot of would people, you, like, follow... Would you go for big brother? Like, crazy, crazy. No, sir. <laughs> you wouldn't? I don't, like I said, I don't... I don't... I've never even watched the show. The only uh-uh. reason why I know the show is because of Twitter. Like, I see them talk about it or, like, the little clips that will go viral that people post. So I've never sat there and watched, like, a sh- an episode of Big, Big Brother. Brother. 
Um, I'm scared of that show because I see the way they tear people. Like, I can't imagine. I'm sure there are people that analyze my life right right now based on what they see online. Yeah. I don't hear it, so I don't care. But if you want to show like Big Brother, and you have millions of people analyzing your every movement on a weekly basis, I don't know if I can handle that. I don't know. Like the Lickons and the Ericas and the and the Mercies and stuff. I don't. Know, I, I don't know how they deal with it. Or maybe they they see the volume. I don't know. But when I see the way, like for example, maybe you you do something in the house, right? You do something in their Big Brother house. You will see Think Piece. Maybe you you brush your teeth. In the afternoon, of the morning, you see things. Piece of this person is this, this person. This person is unhyped. I don't like. I don't want that. I don't want. I don't want people having that much access to my life. So, as I am right now, I don't think I would do it. But who knows? I might be. You know, money may not be on ground in two years, and maybe I'll. I'll be like, maybe they need just finesse inside the house, and I'll go and apply. Yeah. But as of right now, no, nah, I don't think I would do it. Yeah. No, makes sense. Makes sense. It's been nice having you on the pod, Jess. It's been entertaining, lots of conversations, lots of questions, too many questions to fit into the hour, our 30 minutes I think we spent. We're almost two hours. Almost two hours. Yikes. Yeah. Yikes. <laughs> it's been, Yikes. It's been great. It's been great. That's, I told you I, I talk too much. No, it's, it's come on. That's the point of the pod now. And that's also part of listening to Loose Talk and hearing you talk on Clubhouse too many times, chatting with you on right. Clubhouse. <laughs> Right. Yeah, but it's good. Thank you so much for listening, for joining us. Nice, nice. No nice. problem. Thank y'all for having me. So, depending on where you want to find me at, you can find me at a couple places. You want to find me on Instagram and Twitter? It's at just just finesse. If you liked what you heard for the past two hours, you can listen to my own podcast called Just Finesse Presents, um, where we drink Gary every week with different guests. And that's like everywhere you probably hear this podcast on, you probably will hear just uh, you'll probably see Jess Finesse presents on that podcast platform as well. Um, and then yeah, if you want to hear music, I am a playlist curator, and you can find me on the Flex List on Apple Music, Spotify, and Audio Mac. And then if you are really about it and you like drill music, I have a drill uh, playlist called Crude Oil Drill World. That's also on Apple Music, Spotify, and Audio Mac. So yeah. Hey, hey. Nice. Thank you so much for joining us, Jess. It was a pleasure.